Welcome Nick and Marlene and, and little praise who's four is fast asleep under a pile of coats so we, we won't get him up. Um, just a bit of background, the link here really is um, last year during the summer um, myself and my wife had a sabbatical. For part of that I went on my own to uh, Iris Ministries in Mozambique which some of you might be familiar with Roland and Heidi Baker. And so these guys are linked in with Iris, I met them there felt a real good connection to them, felt a sense that I should get to know them, invite them to come over, happened to coincide with when this was on and said, uh, we're interested in having them for prayer and equipping. Mike said, yeah, sounds good. Let's get them in, hear their stories. Um, and, and earlier, just when people were sharing testimonies of what God's doing, it's exciting, isn't it, just to hear even 30 second, one minute stories of what God is doing. And so really the idea is that they're, they're going to tell their story, what's gone on in their lives, what they've been doing, what God's been doing out there where they are in Mozambique. Because I, I know that a number of the things that they'll cover, they'll just be ticking off some of the values that Mike was going through earlier. And um, when we hear stories, it encourages us in what we're doing, doesn't it? It's exciting, we love it. So um, let's hear it for Nick and Molly. Amen. Thanks, Adam. Um, I hope you all can understand me. I'm from Alabama. We speak a little country down there. So I'm not that bad, but um, anyways, we're grateful to be here today with you. Um, it's really exciting. It's our first trip in the UK. We've never been here before. We've flown into Heathrow and then back out again, but never actually spent time here. Uh, we got here on the 2nd, and we're going to be with the guys in the Kent area. Uh, we're staying with Adam and Susie, who have hosted us um, like family. We've been so blessed. Really blessed. And um, we're excited about what God's doing here. Like, we get to travel a lot, and coming from the States, we go back there quite a bit. Um, we go to a lot of churches across country in America, one side to the other. And the community you guys have here, at least what we've seen through them, and I know it's a part of what God's doing um, through all of you here in the UK, that it's amazing what we see. I want to encourage you guys in that. Um, we've been really, really blessed. Like, we see Jesus here. That's what matters. We see Him moving. And to see the church, their church we've been to, and... Um, Cornerstone Community Church, the diversity we see, the levels of people we see, we don't just see churchy people that have been in church for a long time. We see them bringing the lost here and loving people right where they are. That's our heart. So we just feel so honored and blessed to be here. We've just connected with Him, connected to this. We feel connected to this. And so we're excited about what God's doing. It stirs in us to keep going and keep running the race and, and what God's called us to do. Um, so keep doing it. Keep doing it. <laughs> we're going to keep praying for you guys as we go back to Africa. Um, the end of the month, we're going to be praying for the UK. Um, and I don't think it'll be our last time here for sure. So um, I'm here with my beautiful wife, Marlene. Um, she's from San Francisco, but grew up in Nicaragua. Her family's Nicaraguan. Um, 
I grew up in a small little podunk town, we call it, um, Duncanville, Alabama. Uh, but it's connected to Tuscaloosa, which is a little bit bigger town. And um, we began our journey together through Iris, who now is a partner ministry of ours. Um, we, that's how we met in Mozambique, Africa. Um, my journey began about six to seven years ago now when God called me um, to lay down my dream job in America that I had, making great money and um, just living the American dream, really, to go and learn to serve people and um, to step out by faith and lead God um, to work through my life. And so, um, yeah, my little man praise is here as well, our son, um, that God's blessed us with, we were able to adopt. Um, he's four now, and he's been with us on and off since nine months old, um, but he officially became our son, and adoption uh, was finalized when he was a year and a half, and he's the greatest blessing in our life, what God's done um, through our yes. But um, I wanted to read, uh, Marlene's going to share some too in a minute, but I just want to share some testimonies of how through, through faith and prayer and perseverance, how God is is just really moved in our lives. We feel really little being here amongst you guys. Most of you guys are much older than us. Probably been walking with the Lord longer than we've been alive. So we feel really tiny. <laughs> um, Keep digging. Yeah. Yeah. So we... <laughs> That's the wisdom. That's wisdom. I'm not digging. That's 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 honor. That's that's a blessing. That shows that you're much wiser than we are. That's what I was trying to say. Anyway. <laughs> Try to put, fill the hole back up a little bit. So, um, yeah, we just feel honored that, that we've got this opportunity to share. So, thank you, Mike and, and Adam, and for having us share some of our testimony. Um, yeah, six years ago, the Lord called me to leave my, my dream job and move uh, to Mozambique for three months and did Iris's Harvest School of Missions there, um, where God really downloaded my identity. He showed me who I was in Christ, and um, I, I had a pretty good foundation, but God really showed me who I am in Him, and He asked me to lay my life down um, uh, for the nation of Mozambique and Africa. And um, earlier when Mike read a quote uh, from Edwards, it really just hit home with me. And I just want to read it again um, because it, it, it's, it's a lot of the testimony I'm going to share. It lines up uh, with that. And it says, uh, if we should continue some years and nothing remarkable in providence should appear as though God heard and answered, we should act very unbecoming believers if we should therefore begin to be disheartened and grow dull and slack in seeking of God so great a mercy. It is very apparent from the word of God that he is wont often to try the faith and patience of his people when crying to him for some great and important mercy by withholding the mercy sought for a season. And not only so, but at first to cause an increase of dark appearances. And yet he, without fail, at last succeeds those who continue instant in prayer with all perseverance and will not let him go except he blesses. Um, in our lives, that 
is just what's proven true to us. Um, it's a long story how we met um, in the Harvest School and how God uh, brought Marlene and I together. Um, but long story short, um, she was already working in Tete Mozambique with a group of abandoned orphan boys on the streets. And um, I went there on my outreach after the Harvest School and uh, met these boys. And I had kind of planned, I was being recruited by Heidi to go back to Pemba and be the director of construction on their base. Um, I come from a construction engineering background. That's what I was doing in the States. And so I was going to go. I was thinking, I was like, okay, God, if that's what you want me to do, I'll go to Pemba and uh, oversee their building projects. They were doing their getting ready to put a hospital university and several other things. And then I went to TED on my outreach um, where God had told me uh, while I was in the States that Ted, he told me to go to Tete because he had something special for me there. And um, which there's my something special, <laughs> my angel. Um, so I went to Tet and um, God broke my heart for these boys. And basically uh, one night we were in town uh, helping some Bra uh, Brazilian team that was also in Ted at the same time playing a church in the city. And they were doing their first service, so we tagged along to help them out. Um, long story short, my, my wife and I were there, and we, we went to get a, a Coke across the street, and then we saw that a couple of the boys that my wife um, had been loving on for a year already, um, and we weren't together then. Uh, we saw these boys were getting beat up by a gang of guys. God called me to intervene and stand in the gap for these boys. And... Um, it was a thing where police got involved, threatened to throw us in prison. Um, angels actually stood camp around me. These guys tried to attack me and literally hit a, a wall. They couldn't get to me to attack me. And God just showed up in a supernatural way that night. But after all, everything that happened, we went in the church there and I was mad at God. I fell on my face and I just started pounding my fist. And I'm like, God, how could you be this good God that you say you are? And you gave me the life you gave me. I come from the West. I've always had a roof over my head and food on the table. I've been very, very blessed. Grew up in a, a, a lower middle class family. We weren't rich by any means, but I had the, the necessities that I needed. Um, clothes and a good education and things like that. Um, but uh, I was like, God, how did, you, how did you choose to give me the life you gave me? And you give these boys this life you gave them. It's not fair that these boys are abandoned on the streets and the cops that night were saying they're just street dogs, they're worthless. They told this gang of guys that they could kill them if they wanted, take them and kill them because nobody cares about them. And I was like, God, I don't understand how you could be so good and so just, but you, you give me the life you gave me and gave the boys the life you gave them. And um, after I ran in and ran in and shouted at God for a while, he said, Nick, are you done? And I said, I guess. And he said, well, Nick, the reason I gave you the, I had to give you the life I gave you so that you could be right here, right now for this moment. Because I had to give you a father that loved you and raised you up so you'd know what it'd be to be a father. And I want you to come here and be a father to the fatherless. And I want you to lay your life down for these boys that nobody else wants to lay their life down for. And I want you to build a home for them. So that um, was a confirmation and, and, and led me and Marlene on our journey together. Um, I left Tet 
after that trip, um, went back to the States. We prayed and fasted for a month to see if this was really God's will for our life, for us to, to marry and, and embark on this journey to rescue orphans. And um, I went back for a month. We didn't speak, prayed and fasted, um, and just sought the Lord. We had both been engaged previously to uh, the people we thought we wanted to spend the rest of our lives with. Both went through very uh, hard times uh, in our previous engagements, breaking off. Uh, both of our engagements were broke off three months before we got married, hers and mine. And we never knew each other during those days. She's from San Francisco, like I said, and me being from Alabama. Um, and we didn't want to make those mistakes we made in the past. So we began on a journey and we said, no, we're not going to embark on something that possibly could be our flesh. We're going to pray and we're going to fast and seek God. And God confirmed in a number of ways. So Marlene came back to America and we got married. Uh, we met in August. I proposed November 6th and January 6th we got married. We left the States February 20th, a month after we got married, with one-way flights to Mozambique and $400 to live off of. And that was it. And we just gave God our yes. Um, God had spoken very clearly to us and showed us that we were called to go love the least of these in Tet, Mozambique, which is a, a really, really dark place. Um, it's very, very hot and dry there and nasty and not pretty. Um, and so we, we boarded the plane and we went. And I wanted to just share some of the stories of what God did in our life. We, the first thing we needed was a vehicle. We needed a car to do what God was calling us to do. And so when we booked flights to Mozambique, um, when we got the money to do that, we booked our flights to Maputo, the capital city, where cars are much cheaper than in Tete because it's more inland and, and transport costs and everything's built in. So two vehicles there. So we, got, we, we booked our flights to Maputo by faith, but we thought we would travel around the States and share testimony and finances would just come, young people, uh, with, with God's heart to go rescue orphans and build an orphanage, people are just going to unload their pockets to us, and it didn't happen. Actually, pretty much nothing came in, really. And so we got ready to fly out, and we still have no money to buy a car. And so we're like, eesh, God, like, we we got to have a vehicle to do what we're going to do there. we got to be able to get around, and we have no money. And God said, you, you, I told you to go by faith. We had actually even tried to change our flights to extend the leg to go to Tete, and we had no money to do that uh, for the price of the flights. So we took off, and we thought, okay, we'll get to Johannesburg, and we'll land in South Africa, and not. we're going to check our bank account, and it's going to be there. The money's going to be there. We got to Johannesburg, still no money. So I'm like, Ish, do we, do we not hear from you, God? Like, do we make a mistake? And we pray, and we're like, Lord, but you said, but you said. So we get to Maputo, and we think, same thing, we're going to check the internet, check our bank accounts in America, the money's going to be there. We get there, still no money. We only had a week's accommodation in Maputo um, to buy a car and then leave, and there was a team coming in. We were staying on an Iris base, and they had a team from Australia coming in. So a week goes by, we, we, we still went out by faith and started looking for a vehicle. And we found a vehicle, a little SUV that we thought would, would work. And 
It was a 21-year-old 20, vehicle, but it was in good shape. We thought this will, this will do. So we, we started negotiating with a guy with no money. We had no money, and we started bartering. And we, the guy started at $17,000. We have zero. And so we're like, look, we don't have any money, but you've got to come down on the price. And so, so the guy come down a little bit, and over the week's time, we got him to come down just a little bit. And then Thursday rolls around, and the next day our accommodation's running out. So we're literally on our knees praying, and we're going to the Father and petitioning and saying, Lord, this is the word you gave us. This is the call you placed on our life, and this is what you told us. You said by faith we would come to Maputo and buy a vehicle, but tomorrow we're about to be homeless on the streets of Maputo with nowhere to go and no money. We get a knock on the door as we're praying, and the hospitality lady comes and says, Hey guys, just wanted to let you know the whole Australian team got denied their visas, so you can stay as long as you like. <laughs> the very next day, checks started getting handed to my mom from people she had never met, saying, I don't know why, but God's told me to write a check for $500 and hand you. People were going and depositing money into our bank accounts. People that churches we had spoken to, and we didn't go to social media. We didn't, we didn't tell people we're there and we're stranded and we need a vehicle. We trusted God by faith in what He said and stood on His word, and we, we wanted God to move and and believing that He is who He says He is and that He would do what He said He would do. And uh, over the course of the next week. We had $11,500 coming from people we never met. Every bit of the money was from people we had never met. We bartered the guy down to $11,500. We had an extra 100 bucks to put fuel in the car. The guy actually, and he was a Muslim, by the way, that we shared the gospel with and prayed over and ministered to the whole time we bartered with him. He ended up paying out of his pocket to buy our title for our car and the battery, a new battery for the car because the battery was flat. Out of his own pocket because he was going to lose his job because he'd already, he was afraid he was going to lose his job because he'd already dropped the price on the car so much. So we, we got our car and we took off by faith towards Tet and literally the whole way there's a three day drive. We would pull up at the service station and pray, Lord, our, our little American debit card. If it doesn't work, we're going to sleep here at this petrol station. We need you to come through. And every time we put fuel in the car, we made it all the way to Tete Mozambique. And so it had already, the journey already had began to, to look a little different than what we thought it would look like. We thought we'd go to Tete and have all the money to build the home, buy the car, and, and build this home to rescue these boys off the streets. And, and we get there, and, and then God starts really doing by faith. And so he gave us, um, right when we began this journey, when we got to Tet, um, one day he had me open my word to Hebrews 11. Um, and I open up to Hebrews 11, and I read verse 1, which says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And in this Bible, you can see right here I wrote, in green, Shekinah Healing Home will be built by faith. I wrote that on that day, right after we arrived in Tet, Mozambique. And 
We uh, began looking for land. We had no money, again, still. But we began a journey of really looking for land, finding a place to build this home. And in the meantime, every day we'd go to the streets and sit with these boys in the garbage dump and meet them where they were and just love on them and share Jesus with them and feed them some bread and some jam, whatever we could afford with a little bit of money we had um, each day. And um, we, we finally found a piece of land and went to the government and it wasn't obtained by anybody. We asked them, could we get it? They gave us um, uh, a price for the fees and taxes to obtain that land. It was $1,500 that we didn't have. Um, so we, we, we went to God again and we, we began to pray. And we just said, Lord, we, we don't have $1,500. Um, but you told us, and, and we've, we've, we're walking by faith and believing in what you told us, and we're moving, we're active, we're not, we're not sitting at home waiting on you, which I feel like is a big thing a lot of the church um, is doing around the world. We're waiting on God to give us that, that another word, that another sign, another thing to make us go. But we were like, Lord, no, we're not doing that. We're really going. We're believing you by faith. And we prayed and we declared the words and the promises that God gave us. And um, we wrote, God told us through prayer to write a letter to the president of the municipality. And so we write a letter to the president of the municipality and we say, look, we don't have that much money. But we're here to really rescue these orphans and to take them in and love on them. Um, could you help us out? And he wrote us back um, after a number of weeks. Um, we got a, got a letter back and he dropped the price um, from 45000 met to cash at that time, which is $1,500, to 33000 met to cash. And that day, 33,000 mets was exactly $1,100. And we had $1,100 donation coming that day. Wow. So we bought the land. And then we went out there, and this land was just covered in brush and, and, and thick in brush. And when we, the first day when we found the land and walked up out there, God actually gave us a, a blueprint, a clear vision of exactly where the houses would go and what we were going to build there and what it was going to look like. So we went out there and we didn't have, I mean, the, the, the first world thing that would be normal to me to do would be get a TLB or excavator and to start clearing the land, but we didn't have that. So we got our machetes out and we took our boys from the streets and we went out there and just started clearing the land by hand. And we started doing that and we would literally by faith just trust the Lord and if we got, we got, $10 in, we buy one bag of cement and we go out there and start the foundations and some days we'd do a foot of foundation work or two feet of foundation work or three feet. Some days it was 10 feet, a little bit more, but whatever we had, we would sew into what, what the vision that God had gave us. And all along that time, we were, we were loving on these boys, meeting them where they were and just sharing Jesus with them and sitting in the trash dumps with them. And that ended up turning into a period of three years. We were there trying to build this home. During that three years, we went through a lot of stuff that went, where the devil tried to take us out. We, uh, one night, because of what we do, my wife's going to share this testimony. We had thieves come in our home. So we were attacked. We had police threaten us. And, and say that we were actually using these kids to steal babies, to sell in the black market. They tried to put us in jail. We went through lots of trials and different things. And 
it just didn't look like what we thought it would look like going to Mozambique to build this home. But for us, prayer through all that to us really looked like laying on our face day in and day out and crying out to God. Saying, Lord, this is what you said. This is your heart. I'm here. I came. I said, yes, by faith, I'm here to love these kids and build them a home and be a father to them. And you told me to do it. And this is your promises you gave me and declaring and believing and open up our word day in and day out. The days we want to quit, the days we want to give up, the days we just want to throw in the towel and say, God, I'm done with this. It's too hard. And when, when we're looking at these boys with their, 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 their bloated bellies and their, their hungry and starving and we don't have any money left in the account, we don't know how we're going to feed them tomorrow, we lay on our face in the red dirt there in Tete Mozambique and get in a circle with us and lay in the dirt and say, Lord, this is your word and this is what you said. And we would declare those promises and pray and seek God and say, Lord, what do we do? If we're doing anything wrong, we repent. Whatever we're doing, if, if it's not right, turn our hearts to right. To give us the heart that you have for these boys and, and your heart for this place. And through that, God shows up every time He showed up in our life. He's come through, through the finances, through favor with government, favor with social service department. But it didn't look like what we thought it would look like. And that's what I feel like the Lord wants me to give you guys today is that as you as a, a community in the UK are going after prayer for big things, it doesn't always look like we think and what we want it to look like. But does that mean we give up? No. It's like Mike was saying earlier, it, sometimes it takes time. It takes years of persevering and going to God in prayer and believing Him for the words He's given us. For us, we literally thought year one we'll have the home built and the kids, the government will be glad to give us the kids. Why wouldn't they? These kids are on the streets. They're getting beaten. They're getting abused. They're stealing from the local people. They're stealing from the expats working in the community. Why wouldn't they just let them come in? Three years later, we got the home built and the government says, no, you don't have tile on the floor yet. Concrete floors aren't good enough. These kids are sleeping in the garbage dump. They're sleeping on the streets. They're rummaging, rummaging through the trash every day. They're sleeping in abandoned cars and stuff. We've got a roof here. We've got a bed for them. You don't have tiles on the floor. You don't have paint on the walls yet. It's not good enough. You can't take them in. So what is that looking like at the end of the day when you lay down? But God, you said. Lord, you gave us a word. You told us. So we pray and we say, Lord, we need favor with these government officials. They see the color of our skin and they want us to pay bribes up front. They want us to pay our way through these processes and things. But we refuse. We stood on the word and we said, no, Lord, but your word says this is what you've given us. And we stand true to that. We don't give in to the, the, the political system and the corruption. We persevere. We could have easily paid and think, make things happen at the snap of a finger. But that, that wouldn't be honoring what God, what, what He's given us in this Word. So He said, Lord, you've got to give us favor. And that looked like going and standing in government offices for hours and hours and hours and days and days and days and months and months and months on end. In hot lines, 45 degrees, no air con in the building, standing 
with people all around you, every which way, and you get to the government official's door and he says, oh, because you don't have money to hand to him, oh, I'm going to lunch. And he walks in and says, come back tomorrow. And you've been there for five, in line for five hours. And it's like showing up again tomorrow and saying, Lord, this is what you said. And in line, when I'm getting frustrated in my flesh and I want to give in and I want to get mad, I start praying, praying in tongues, Lord, Give me the faith. Give me the perseverance. Give me what I need to stand it out. So that you see me faithful in the end. And the Lord gives me a little bit to stand there and line another day and another day and another day. Until another year goes by before the government and the home's built and tiles in, the walls are painted, and the bedroom, we've met all their requests before they finally say, you can have the kids. They can come in now. And the group of boys that we were working with that already turned 17, 18 years old, most of them with them, they were 11, 12, 13 years old, and now four, four and a half years has gone by, and they've all aged out. And so we wanted to ask God, but God, you said to build a home for these boys, and now the government won't let them come in because they're 18 years old. So what do we do now? And God says, I want you to go out and find some more kids on the street. And I want you to give those boys jobs now because they're old enough to work and to learn. And I want you to disciple them as you teach them trades. I want you to go out and find some more kids now. So we went out and we find another group of young kids on the street that are orphans. And, and we learn their stories and petition the government for them. So now we, we have this beautiful miracle home we call the Shekinah Healing Home built. It looks like Noah's Ark. We, went, we left home with $400 to our name a month to live off of. And now we've built a home that's 44 and a half meters long by 13 meters wide. We live there. We've got two missionary ladies that are both 66 year old. So you're never too old. No excuses. They're both 66, two single ladies serving with us in tech. One of them's been there almost four years, and the other one has been there three years now. We've got a young couple working with us, and we take interns on and off. And we've got a family of about 50 people every day from our village, Mozambicans that are working with us and our construction crews developing our base, um, teaching them trades, basically just giving them jobs so that we can disciple them every day and, 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 and love on them. Um, and then we have the Whitey Snow Ministry that my wife's going to probably talk to you a little bit about in a minute, um, rescuing women out of human trafficking um, in Tete as well. And so for us, it, it, um, this journey has been all about prayer. If, if, if it wasn't for prayer, we, we wouldn't be here today. And so I'm going to open my iPad back up here. I've got a couple more uh, things that I wrote down about prayer that I feel like is really important that God showed me over the last five years on this journey of faith we've been on. Been on. Um, uh, our, one of the things we've come to a realization that, that prayer, in my opinion, is not really a thing. It's not... We think that prayer is that thing where we just go and we sit down and we start talking and saying, I need this and, and I want this and God, I need you to do this. But for us, prayer has actually become a lifestyle. And it's it, prayer for us is constant communion with the Father. 
And that's every day and everything we do and every aspect of whatever we do. Um, we're communicating with God. We're inviting Him in to every aspect of our life. Everything. Even I've gotten into cycling. I love cycling now. When I get on my bike, I invite the Lord to come and cycle with me. I could just go and, and it could be a means to exercise and losing my gut. But I invite the Lord in to come and minister to me and speak to me, give me visions, give me dreams, love on me, uh, fill me up. And so for us, it, it literally, prayer has become a lifestyle that all day throughout the day, no matter what we're doing, we're praying, we're communicating with God. We're, we're listening and not just talking, but also listening for the Lord to speak and give us the words we need every day. And we're with a government official and we're speaking. We're asking the Lord, Lord, give me the words to speak right now. So it's become something where I grew up thinking like, oh, you got to pray. My mom taught me. We grew up Southern Baptist, very religious, very legalistic. And it was, you got to go spend your time in prayer. And I literally thought I had to go to my room and sit on my bed and just pray for 30 minutes. And I thought that was the, the, the means to the, the rest of the day. If I did that, I'd be in a good place the rest of the day. I thought prayer was just during that time. And, and the more we've walked by faith, we realize that prayer is a constant communication with the Father, talking to Him all day, every day, and letting Him speak to us. Not always speaking, but opening our ears to listen where God can speak to us. And then we can reply. And there's a scripture I want to read um, that I think that God put on my heart that's a really good uh Example, I believe, for for prayer, and it's in Habakkuk. I don't know how you guys pronounce it. What do you say? Habakkuk. Habakkuk. <laughs> I can't even say it that way. We say Habakkuk, so I'm going to leave it at that. Lost my space here. Give me just a second. Okay, Habakkuk 2, 1 through 3. It says, I will stand at my watch and station, station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. And I wrote down a few things that God showed me about that, about prayer, and what I've been trying to implement into my life and through all these situations and things we're going through. The first thing was that Habakkuk met with the Lord and asked Him questions. He went to God and He, he asked Him, Lord, what am I to do? What does this look like? And he stood there waiting for the Lord to reply. So he went to God in prayer and, and, and made his request known, but then he waited. He didn't, he didn't think necessarily it was coming right then, but he waited on a response from God. And so for us, a lot of times prayer looks like standing and waiting. 
three and a half years, four years, four and a half years before these kids come on of constant pray, waiting and going to God. Going and, and reminding ourselves all along the time of the promises and the words He's given us. The second thing was that He had an expectant heart and He looked for God to speak to Him in dreams and visions. So not only did he just go to God with his questions, but he went with an expectant heart, expecting a response from God. He didn't just go and pray and think, oh, okay, I did my job, I prayed today, I, I did my thing, but he expected God to come and move and speak to him. And the third was that he stood his ground and listened for the Lord to speak to him because he knew the Lord would speak. The fourth thing he did was then he wrote it down. He wrote it down. He said, write it on a tablet that you can give it to the people. So for us, it's been a journey of, of learning to what, of how to pray and what that looks like in our life. To go to God and, and petition and, and, and tell Him our prayers and what we're seeking out. Then to stand and wait for God to show up and move. And then when He does show up, to write it down and act on it. And that's where through, through prayer... And, and walking it out in our life, and what God showed me is that faith and prayer go hand in hand. That, fa- that when, I, when I pray, I've got to have faith and stand the test of time that that prayer is going to be answered and that God's going to move on my behalf. Yeah. And every time God has come and He's done that, He's moved on our behalf. We took a trip to India. Um, we, my wife had a heart. I've always had a heart for Africa. I didn't have a heart for India. My wife always had a heart for India. Um, and actually just went to Africa out of obedience. Um, and she was praying for, for India. And so God began to stir in my heart for India. We decided to take a, a pioneering trip to go see uh, what it would be like to, to set up a base in India. And we went to Calcutta. And we walked through Sonagachi Red Light District. God highlighted for us Calcutta through prayer. And, and then he highlighted the Sonagachi Red Light District. So we went and we took a small team with us. And we began to walk the streets of Sonagachi and, and pray. And we actually went in brothel after brothel after brothel. Floor to floor to floor. Room to room to room. And, and just saw these women and the circumstances they're living in as slaves in the sex slave trade. And we prayed with women. And um, at the end of the trip, uh, I had a really supernatural encounter that changed my life. And um, God's taught me a lot about prayer. And I really want to grow in prayer, especially through this. We, it was the night before we were leaving. Um, we were in our hotel and we were flying out. That we, we were booked to fly out the next morning. And I went to bed and I woke up on fire in the middle of the night. And my flesh was literally, I'd never had anything like this happen before. I woke up and I felt like I was burning on fire. My wife, when she touched my skin, it burnt her hand. And I was in pain, excruciating pain, screaming and crying out to God. And um, when that, as I was just in this excruciating pain, the devil actually came up through the floor in front of my bed and looked at me and he said, I want your souls, I want to take your life. And, and when he said that, fear set in and I went 
and I went into this spance above hell and I was looking down into hell and I saw a lake of lava fire and I just saw, I heard shouts of people screaming for help and give me another chance and um, it was a violent, nasty, nasty place is, is the only way I can describe it. And the devil called uh, two general demons in and they flew in and he said, I told you to take their lives and you failed and he was just shouting in a language that I didn't I didn't understand and it was really violent and he slapped these demons down into the lake of fire and he called two new demons and said, I want you to go take their life. And I went back into the bedroom and I was sitting there and I felt like these demons came with baseball bats with big spikes and just started beating me till every bone in my body broke. And I was in excruciating pain, like I, I can't even explain, screaming and crying, hurting, and I felt like every bone in my body was breaking. This went on for hours, and my wife was just interceding and praying over me the entire time. It went on for hours and hours, all the way until the morning where we got ready to go to the airport. And my wife had to put me on a luggage bag and roll me into the elevator all the way down. She had to pick me up and push me into the taxi. We got to the airport, same thing, I rolled on the, I was rolling on the ground across because I, I literally felt like I was on fire. To make the fire go out, I was rolling back and forth across the floor. And airport officials came, the police came, and they get a doctor there, um, and, and they want to inject me and this and that. And Marlene was getting really worried at that point, and, and I knew it was spiritual. We both did. It was a spiritual attack, and so these guys are asking what's wrong, but we knew they didn't understand what's going on. So um, I had to muster up the strength to literally just lay at my wife's feet in the fetal position and, and, and to hold the pain. Long story short, um, once we, we flew out of there and got to Dubai um, and left, the, the, the pain and everything left. What had happened when I, when, when I was in the bedroom that morning going through all this pain, the devil came back and he told me that he was doing this to put fear in me so that I would never come back into his territory. And he showed me, a, I saw a vision where he grabbed all these women that were in trafficking there and he pulled them all to me and, and said they were his and in a very violent, nasty way and that he didn't want me to ever step foot back there again because that was his, his, his territory, it was his land, it was his home, Sonagachi was. And um, it put fear in me. And over the next couple of years, our team wanted to take, take another trip back to India to go back and, and uh, test the waters and pray into what God was wanting us to do there. And without even realizing it, over the next two years, every time our team brought it up, I would say, oh, well, we need to wait and, and we need to get Tete set up right first. We need to get our team equipped. And we need to get our base built, all the buildings done. We need to do that. We need to do it well before we go to, to, go to India again. And after two years went by, we were down in Maputo getting some documents for our son, and um, we watched a, a documentary about a red, a, 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 some missionaries working in a red light district in India, and God pierced my heart and he showed me that I've been paralyzed by fear, India paralyzed me by fear. And so I began to pray into that, and what I realized is that I actually had went into that place unprepared. I was not prayed up and fasted and, 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 and I, wasn't, I wasn't ready for the battle that I was going into when I went there. I went in there naked. I thought, ah, oh, you know, we got Jesus, we're good, let's go. 
And I went there, and the devil ate my lunch. I mean, he took over, and he whipped my tail, literally, to the point of paralyzing me with fear for two years to not go back to that place. And through that, I, I, I've surrendered that now to the Lord again. And, and we're actually, this trip here, God's stirring in our hearts again to go back to India soon. What I learned through that about prayer, that, that as we go and God calls us into places, it is vital, absolutely vital to be prayed up, to fast and pray and to seek God, to, to deny our flesh of food and, and social media and these devils right here and things that occupy our time. If we really want to go as a body and get the lost and steal people from the darkness of hell, we have to be a body of people that are prayed up, that are fasted, that are ready for battle. Because you go into battle with the devil in these territories and you go in there in these dark places and you're not got on the right armor and you're not ready. I'm testimony that he can eat you up and he will he will whip your tail. And so I, I'm challenged even through this and I know we'll be more challenged in the next couple of days. Um, in the, the, the importance of prayer, that testimony in my life, like I won't go back there again without doing some serious, serious extended prayer fasting. Setting aside me to, to say, Lord, I want to be equipped and ready to go to battle when I go there. Because I don't want the devil to take over and I don't want him to win and, and, and put fear over me. So I challenge you guys that as you, like everybody here, pretty much leaders and things in churches, as we're going for these bigger things in God and believing God for more, and we've got to be covered in prayer. We've got to be in the intimate place at the Father's feet, seeking Him and asking Him for the wisdom, for the discernment, what to do, how to do it, how to speak, how to go in, who to go in with, to partner with the right people. So um, for me, um, that's a, a few of the testimonies of our lives.
pastor in Spain and puts you in a place where you have to know the word. You have to get on your, on your knees and say, Jesus, how do I love my brother? How do I love my sister? Because we can't just come and say to somebody that's in prostitution, hey, you're going to go to hell. You need to leave this lifestyle. We need to become their friends. They need to see Jesus in us. And it's silly that I'm here because of the background that I came. I've been a missionary for six years and I've been saved for six and a half. So truly, I'm, I'm truly a baby and um, in Christ. And sometimes I read things in the Bible and I'm like, babe, did you know this? This is what the Word said. Like, I literally, this is... I love the word because it's given my life so much purpose and so much life. When I came to Mozambique, I told Jesus I wanted to give him three months of my life because I wanted to know that he loved me. Um, it's silly, you know. Um, didn't really grow up with my dad. I've never met him. And my mom, she was an alcoholic, so she had the boyfriend's family that she had at the moment raised me. So I grew up with so many abandonment issues and so many things and so broken, sexually abused since I was six years old. But my Jesus. One day when I was in Mozambique, a pastor that was speaking, he read to me, Jeremiah says, you're chosen. And that completely changed my life, that I was chosen and I was to preach his word. I didn't know how, but I encountered the love of Christ. And, and I read in his word that says, go. And I went. I didn't know how. I, didn't, I was just like, I really needed to rely on Jesus and pray. And Jesus, help me. How do I even preach the gospel when I don't know it? I lived in an ex-brothel and... I remember being there alone when the pastors just spoke Portuguese and Jesus became my everything. He was my best friend. He was everything to me. He was my bread of life. And we became intimate, you know, when you're in that place where he becomes your everything. It's sometimes easy to say, yes, we love Jesus. But sometimes we're put through the test. Sometimes when we go, when I went as a baby Christian, I thought, well, nothing's going to happen to me. I'm here to preach the gospel. But no, things happened. I got sick. Thieves came in. They locked us up and tied my husband and I and put a t-shirt. And one of the men grabbed me from where I was at in the room with my husband, took me in and tried to rape me. And I was serving my God. I wasn't doing anything bad. So when you decide you're going to serve and know that things will happen. But my God is bigger. My God is bigger than a man trying to rape me. My God is bigger than somebody. When he grabbed me, he hurt me so much he broke my jaw. But my God restored my jaw. And because of that. I remember he had prepared me. I, he told me to start a 21-day fast. And the day I finished, the night after, is when the thieves came in. And I, I, I didn't say, why is this man trying to rape me? I mean, he took off my clothes trying to kiss me and come inside of me. And all that I can say is, Jesus, have mercy on him. 
because I knew my father loved me and I knew he did it and I knew what my dad could do to him and I felt bad that this man was trying to hurt me and I knew it wasn't Jesus that sent him. I knew it was the devil that sent him to try to hurt me, but he didn't know Jesus. And so many people said for us to come home and when I read this verse, let us not grow weary of doing good. I didn't want to stay in Mozambique after this happened. I was, I had so much fear of just like people, their smell. I just became so completely with panic. And I remember I used to pray and I would be like, Jesus, you called me to this nation to love them. How can I be here if I'm scared of them? And I used to cry out and one day, I was supposed to speak at a church and I was thinking, God, how am I even going to get up with so many fears that I have? And he showed me a vision and he came behind me and all those fears just felt like that. They all just felt like I, I was able to sleep before I would wake up my husband up every kind of the hour and say, babe, can you check the windows or thieves coming in again? It was this fear. That's what the devil does. He paralyzes but our God is bigger. Our God is bigger than that. And I remember him coming to hug me and all the fear stopped. And because of perseverance, because of praying, now we have our beautiful son. I was praying for India and I'm so thankful you're doing this in prayer because prayer is such a, this is our life. We wouldn't be in the mission field. We wouldn't pray. And I was praying for India and I was like, because of how I've been sexually abused, I have a heart to rescue women from this industry. Again, what the devil meant for harm, my God has restored it. And because of my story, because of my pain, because I grew up thinking, I don't want anything to do with Jesus because why would I serve a God that let someone hurt me? But when I realized that it wasn't him, I want to be able to tell every woman that it's happened to. It is not our Jesus that has made you go through that. He loves you. He wants to take care of you. So I started praying for India, and I just heard God say in prayer, I've given you authority over this land. And I'm thinking, there's no prostitutes in Ted. What are you talking about, Jesus? And I started asking around, and they told me they had some ladies in town my husband and I lived in the village, so we would go to sleep really early. And they told me where they were at, and I was like, babe, you got to take me. And he took me with another missionary, and we just started praying for this lady. And the second Saturday that we came, I was like, Jesus, gosh, it's so amazing to tell them how much you love them. But how do you see them? I don't want to call them prostitutes. How do you see them? And that's another thing that we have to ask in prayer, that he gives us his eyes for the lost. We can't see a homeless and see someone that's homeless. We have to have his heart. Because when we have his heart, things change. When we see with his eyes and feel with his heart, everything changes. So that day, I was like, Jesus, how do you see them? And he said, I see them white as snow. And I just couldn't believe that our God will see a prostitute, even us, white as snow, but that's who we serve. He died in the cross so we can be. He sees the finishing point. He sees what we're meant to be. He sees when he went to the cross how we're supposed to be. And 
I remember going to the streets that day and Jesus highlighted this lady and I went and talked to her and I sat next to her and I asked her her name and she said her name was Tatenda. And then I said, do you know Jesus sees you white as snail? And she just begins to cry. She says, there's no way he can see me white as snow. You have no idea what I've done. And I say, you're right, I don't, but my Jesus does and that's how he sees you. And then Jesus told me to tell her that he wanted to have a night with her. That's kind of weird. You know, you need to be in a lot of prayer to tell a lady that. <laughs> and um, so I was like, you know, if Jesus wants to spend a night with you, you go home. How much do you need to go home tonight? And she says, I need 500 mats, which was about $20. So Jesus told me to give her a thousand. So I was like, if we give you a thousand mats, will you go home tonight? And then she said, yes, but what do I have to do? And I said, all you have to do is talk to Jesus. So she was like, yes, I would love to, because I left my nine-month-old son. With an empty bottle, alone at night. And that's our son now. She would leave him all night by himself at nine months to go sell her body for 30 cents. It's not like she had to do that for luxuries. She had to survive. That's how she was feeding our little boy. And we took her home and the next day she sent me a message and I called her and she goes, that was the best experience she's ever had. She said, Jesus literally walked into the room and told her how much she loved, how much he loved her. And that completely changed her life. She left prostitution and she was like, I never want to do this again. And she asked for a job because she didn't know. We all know that when Jesus touches our lives, we, we are never the same. If you really have been touched, there's no way you can ever be the same. Because when the Jesus, when the Son of God touches you, you're transformed. And so I give her a job at our house cleaning, and then she was like, I want to take you to my friends. I, wanna, I want you to tell them that Jesus loves them too. So she took me to all the brothels that I didn't even know existed in Ted. And I sat there with the women and got to know them and became their friends and started teaching Bible study. And then I rented a brothel because I was like, Jesus, I need to be in here. Like, I don't want to take the women out of this brothel. I want you to come in here. Because sometimes as the church, we want to take the people to the light, but some, we, the church, have to go and be the light in the dark place. So one of the ladies that left prostitution because she started working with us left her room, so I was like, that's my chance. And I rented a brothel, and I, I told my husband, you have to go put a door in my brothel. And she was like, what are you talking about? So he came, and it was this little, it's this little tiny room. He thinks it's a shack, but I was like, don't you see the potential? So many women are going to experience Jesus here. And he put a door because I wanted to make sure it was a place that it was holy and we could glorify our Father. So I painted it and I put there is power in the name of Jesus. And like 28, 35 women come every Wednesday, every Friday, and Monday when we worship our King. And 
it's beautiful to see what God does. We just decide to go. I am so not worthy to be teaching his word. I'm not worthy to be his hands and feet. But isn't he his perfect? He's so perfect that he allows in our brokenness to be able to minister. So I just want to encourage you, if you have a dream that God's told you you're going to do this, do it. It might not all look the same like you want it to look. It might not make sense right now. I mean, we rescue over 20-something now, 14 working right now, and he's told me I'm going to rescue 11 million. And I don't like to limit my God because my God is bigger than me. My, I'm thinking 20-something, whoo, okay, that's awesome. How do we get to 11 million? So that's how I tell my husband, well, it is time to go to India. Like, we got to go. There's people that, we are, that are waiting for you to come. There is a, a vision that Jesus gave me, and I want you guys to close your eyes because he's told me that when I share it, and I wasn't going to share it, but I feel like I need to share it. Um, Jesus showed me there was a clock that he was looking in heaven, and then I saw him kneel, kneeling down, and he was saying, Father, give us more time. Father, give us more time. And then I saw like missionaries and pastors and things that carry invitations. We had specific invitations. Know that you that are in this room have specific invitations that God has given you to give out. And those invitations, they were in a table. And each invitation had a name and a date and an expiration date. And I saw how we were all coming to, to earth, and sometimes we go through hard times. Sometimes we get hurt. As us leaders, we get hurt. We get talked about. We do a lot of things, and we will give up. And when those invitations will give um, expire, Jesus will look at his hands with holes in his hands and say, now they will never know that I died for them. Now they will never know that I died for them. Do you know the importance of that? There's invitations that our Father has given you to give out. That your voice, your voice will awaken something in a person that doesn't know Jesus. But when you speak, our Father has given you authority over that person. But if you don't go, if you don't speak, that person might never come to Christ. We cannot be comfortable as a church. We have to get stirred up about that. That's why when we say we gotta pray, we gotta fast. Yes, we gotta pray, we gotta fast, we gotta get his heart for people. He died for all of us, and yes, he died for the one because he loves stopping for just the one. But he he wants his people to come. He wants to come and come to a perfect bride. He wants us to go and evangelize, go and tell about his gospel. And I know, you can open your eyes now, I know what it's like before when I came to Mozambique, I was like, I'm doing Jesus' will, everyone loves me. doesn't always work out like that. Um, we get hurt. This 
just happened before we left Mozambique, three of the ladies that we have loved in white as snow, they decided to go to the labor department and accuse me that I wasn't being right with them. And I was so hurt. So I was like, God, I've given my life for them. What am I doing wrong, you know? And they just came with some lies and things and Jesus did a miracle when we were there. The, the guy um, that was doing the case, he actually was a believer and ended up telling the ladies that these people are just here to help you. But I remember coming home and that as leaders, that is so disappointing when all you're trying to do is help somebody, but they're gonna betray you, they're gonna fail you, they're gonna talk about you. But that's how we need to be. We need to be so rooted in Him, so one with Him, that even though they hurt us, even though they disappoint us, even though they talk about us, even though they leave our church, or even say things that are horrible, it won't move us. We gotta be so rooted in Him as a people of Him that it doesn't matter if they hurt us. We'll be like, okay, Jesus, Give me a heart to love this person even though they're talking bad about me. We need to have compassion and kindness. And I just feel like sometimes when we've been leaders for a long time, and by me, six years is not a long time. I'm sure you guys have like decades. But <laughs> I feel like the more you're in leadership, the more you need to be in his presence. The more you need to be with him, be one with him, because you will get hurt, you will get disappointed. But that, that shouldn't matter. That should just be like, Jesus, it's okay. And that's when we need to go to that secret place. To just, I feel like when I go to the secret place, I just take all of my weights off, all of my worries, all of my disappointments. And sometimes I just cry. At his feet and said, Jesus, help me. And when you're in that place or just being one with him, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter how many people disappoint you. It doesn't matter how many people hurt you. You are doing it because you have his love, because he's called you to love. The, word, the Bible says that we are to love, love, love. And it's not easy to love. It's so easy to love somebody when they love you and they're nice to you. But when they're accusing you of horrible things, it's really when we need to become more like Christ and say, Jesus, I need you. Because we are weak. We're flesh. We're, I mean, sometimes, most days I suck. I really do. <laughs> I really need to go to him. Jesus, help me. I want to be more like you every day. We need to be more like him. We need to go. It's so important to have that time with him every day because it's easy to sit up here and preach, but when the lost see you in a grocery store or somewhere, they need to see something different in you. They don't need to be like, oh yeah, she's a Christian, she has to pray for me. No, they actually, can they, can they see you different? Do you look different? Do you smell different to other people? Or do you just tell them their sins and what they're doing wrong? We, as believers, need to start looking more like Him every day. And trust me, I know it's one of my battles. It's not easy, but that's what He's called us for. He's called us for every day 
to lay at his feet for every to be in prayer. I mean, even Jesus had to go to prayer because he had he knew what was coming. He knew his death was coming, and it was too much. So Jesus went to pray because he needed it. So we do. It's important for us to pray. And I love what he said about fasting. We do not fast to get things out of it, but the territory, how we grow, the oneness we become with Christ. That's what it's about. And I just wanted to encourage you guys, if if you have hurt, it's okay to come to the Father and say, this sucks, God. Being a leader sucks, and it hurts. And it's hard when people disappoint you over and over and over and over again. And guess what? They're going to disappoint you again. They're going to betray you. Even Jesus had betrayed him, but he loved him. And that's the heart that we need to have. And I am so honored that Jesus lets us be his hands and feet. And I am so amazed of what you're doing here and how you're going now. It's such an amazing thing to see how you're doing it. And yeah, we have such a huge heart for the UK now. And we know this is not going to be the last time for coming. So I just keep encouraging you to... Do not go weary of doing things. It doesn't matter if you haven't seen a change in your church for 20 years. It says if you do not quit, you will see the fruit. That's a promise you need to hold on to because it's in his word and he's faithful. Amen.